Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is always timeless. It transcends culture and language and time period because it speaks directly to our souls. As it itself says, it's It cuts us to the quick. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Separates body from soul. Cuts us to the quick. Lord, we thank you that it penetrates so deeply within us and and lays bare uh, who we are before you because we can't hide anything from you anyways. Lord, I, I thank you that it addresses anything we could possibly face in this life. To you we give you the glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most wildly successful movie franchises that has spanned over the past 45 years or so has been the Star Wars franchise. That that just looks old now, doesn't it? (laughs) The The last installment in the current Star Wars trilogy came out in theaters towards the end of December of this last year, 2019. The ongoing general storyline of Star Wars usually follows the impact of a new age conceptual power known as what? Come on, you you know, the Force, right? (laughs) Anyone who has seen any of the Star Wars movies knows that there are certain people who possess a greater capacity and sensitivity of tapping into this force and that it can be both used for good and evil, right? But whatever the battle is between the dark side and the light side, the force is the seemingly all-powerful influence that can be used to automatically trump the other side and completely turn the tide of whichever war is being waged. With the Force, it's this overarching but impersonal power that can both be wielded by good-hearted and evil-hearted characters, making an irreversible impact for either good or bad. Paul has spent an entire chapter, chapter 12, on discussing the use and power of different gifts that the Holy Spirit divvies out in order to fulfill an individual mission that Jesus gives to each and every one of us, that when all done together as one, is how God created the church to heal, move forward, grow, and be a huge impact on their community. While all these gifts are influenced supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, there are a few that are more visibly supernatural than others. For instance, imagine seeing a miracle happen through someone's prayer right before your eyes, like material provision that just comes out of nowhere, or deliverance from an otherwise fatal situation, or somebody even being raised from the dead before your eyes. Or imagine seeing miraculous healing through someone's prayer right before your very eyes, cancer disappearing out of nowhere or someone only being given a few months to to, to live, experiencing a miraculous recovery. Or seeing someone's great faith moving someone to change their mind, or being led to do something they would never do on their own, or being freed from an impossible addiction. 
But any and all of those, Paul says in the last sentence of chapter 12, is not even the most powerful thing we could use. There is something out there that is even more powerful than the most supernaturally influenced spiritual gifts. And unlike the force, this created thing by George Lucas that's impersonal and can be used for either good or horrible destruction, this, what Paul is about to reveal to us, is something that when unleashed can only powerfully be used for good. What an incredible thing, isn't that? This power and force is love. You probably knew that already. It's fitting that this week is Valentine's Day, and a lot of people are thinking about love. But this biblical love is something way beyond what most people think love actually is. Today, we're going to be taking a look at what Paul says about this powerful force called love. To lay a foundation for what biblical love is, Paul first emphasizes what an absence of love looks like. An absence of this love. So the first point that we come to in our passage this morning is the greatest service. If you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I almost said chapter 12 because we've been in that for so long. But chapter 13, if you didn't bring one with you, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there. It's in the, in the New Testament. I want us all to see this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we read in verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We can gather from this verse and how Paul has already addressed the spiritual gifts as a whole. And what Paul will say in chapter 14, the following chapter, and what he's talking about here, that the Corinthian church struggled with seeking and promoting the spiritual gift of tongues. That's what they struggled with a lot. They struggled with seeking and promoting the spiritual gift of tongues and somewhat the gift of prophecy above everything else. That's what they put on a pedestal. As when we covered specifically this gift of tongues, you'll remember that we looked at this gift from the perspective of the Bible in its entirety. When God originally created humankind in his image, they could all speak the same language. What they eventually did with that blessing was use it to defy God and build a pagan temple tower in the region of Babel in order to promote their own pride. And so God confused everyone's language at that point, forcing them to obey the command he gave Noah upon his exit from the ark that they all must spread out all over the earth. He told Noah and his sons, now spread out all over the earth. After the flood, they said, nah, we're going to stay right here and build this temple tower. And, and so God forced them to obey his command by confusing their languages. Nobody wanted to be with somebody else who had a different language. And then they had to spread out all over the earth. And ever since then, humans have committed unspeakable evils to each other using their separation of culture, race, and language as an excuse. It's part of the curse on humankind for wanting to know both good and evil back in the Garden of Eden. Sadly, we'll be dealing with the effects of this curse until we get to heaven. 
There we will fully and completely experience worshiping God together with fellow brothers and sisters from the tongues or languages of every nation and tribe on earth. We'll all be worshiping God together. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It will be a full redemption of what happened back at the Tower of Babel. But God has given us a foretaste of that future through this spiritual gift known as tongues, or better translated, languages. These are not angelic or heavenly languages, as some churches may interpret this. Paul references elsewhere that there is a heavenly language, but it's one no sinful person on earth is allowed to speak. In fact, when Paul references the tongues of angels here, if I, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, from what we know the rest of Scripture teaches, what Paul is doing here is using hyperbole, the literary tool of exaggeration to prove his point. In other words, this is better understood as Paul saying, if I speak with the tongues of men and even if I spoke with the tongues of angels. He's not saying he could. He's just saying even if I could, it would mean nothing without this love. Therefore, a biblical understanding of the gift of tongues is that these are earthly languages that the person speaking does not inherently know. When the Holy Spirit determines as the best time and situation, he will come over a person with the gift of tongues to speak in another earthly language to show the power and the unity of the one faith in the one God, no matter what the language is. Like I've said before, while this gift will not fully cease until Jesus returns from what we can see in Scripture, we will know him fully just as we are known fully by him now, and they are no longer needed, Paul does not speak to the frequency the Holy Spirit will gift people with this gift. Since it's all up to God, it's all up to which would be the most beneficial for each individual church and what the location is. In places where the gospel presence is not yet established, you'll see this gift used a lot more frequently, along with miracles, great faith and prophecy, all these other gifts we've talked about, to back up the power of the gospel. In places where the gospel presence is established, whether or not how much it's ignored by most of the population, like in the United States, these gifts may not be as beneficial to the church and therefore may, may not be as frequent. And like Paul is saying here, you should not be focused on seeking out some kind of experience whereby you can speak in tongues. That is not the end all. That is not the end of everything. In fact, the gift of tongues is only meant to be a means to point to who? To point to Jesus, to point to the gospel. What is the power behind the gospel? Love. That is what you should really be pointing at. What the Corinthians were spending so much time on was not, the point, uh, was not the point of their lives, and what really was going on is that they had completely missed the point. The whole point of their lives was pointing to the love of Jesus poured out in the message of salvation and forgiveness of sins through his death and resurrection. That was the whole point of their lives. They completely missed it. As we, along with the Corinthian believers, are all followers and disciples of Jesus, we all seek to emulate that same love that Jesus exemplified in everything we do. 
In fact, these were among the last words Jesus left with the original disciples. He said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Very simple. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That's the definition. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It doesn't have anything to do with how sound your theology is or, or anything else. As we see here, the one thing that will prove that we are Jesus' disciples is that we are showing the love that he first loved us with. I'm 100% positive that these are the words that Paul had in his mind when he wrote down the first three verses of chapter 13. It's not having the same, or not having the most supernatural spiritual gifts that will prove that you are Jesus' disciples. It's having and showing the same love that he had. Anything short of that is the sound of a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, the same cultural connection may not be the same for us, but think of the most annoying sound you can possibly think of. Think of that right now. I could have been really mean to you, and embedded recordings of the most annoying sounds I could think of to prove my point and play for you right now, but I didn't want to be that mean to you. But think of the most annoying sounds that just drive you nuts, Maybe it's someone grinding their teeth or that really bad shriek of microphone feedback or someone's car alarm going on and on and on for an hour in the middle of the night or a toddler smashing things together over and over again or someone scratching something really grating on another surface or someone listening to music really loudly in their car right outside your house and they have a decent sound system. And every single bass note and thump is resonating in your living room as if you're sitting with them in the car. Whatever it is, think of the most annoying sound you can possibly think of. We've been talking a lot about us figuring out what our spiritual gifts are and then using them. But if we're using our spiritual gifts and doing things grudgingly or haphazardly or in a bad mood, they come across to others as annoying as the most irritating sounds. If we're only serving someone or doing something behind the scenes for the church facilities or volunteering in a ministry or coming alongside of someone out of duty or out of a need of feeling like you just have to do it without any love being present, it's probably actually more harmful to the kingdom of Christ than if you didn't do anything. The greatest service is rendered annoying and harmful in reality. Jesus has called each of us to individual missions, and the Holy Spirit has gifted each of us to fulfill those missions, but that's not the end of it. It's not the end of it to just do it. Our heart needs to be in the right place too. We need to be serving others out of love, and the fact that they're God's children too. We need to be taking care of the facilities God has given to us out of love for Him and gratefulness for His blessings to us. We need to be volunteering for different ministries out of 
love for Jesus and wanting to show that love to others in order to point them to the same hope and peace and salvation that we've experienced. We need to be coming alongside of others out of the same love that Jesus comes alongside of us with each and every day. If not, what we're really doing is we're just driving people further and further away from Jesus. It's pretty convicting, isn't it? It's not enough for us to just use the spiritual gifts God has given us to do the work He's given us to do as parts of His body of Christ. It's Jesus' love in us. And if Jesus' love in us isn't a part of whatever we're doing, no matter how hard we're working at it, we're just driving people away from Jesus. That's how powerful love is. That's how powerful love is and how much of the equation to our lives and place in the church it has. So the first point we had was the greatest service and what that actually ends up being if it's not filled with Jesus' love. Secondly, the greatest successes. Next, Paul draws out two more spiritual gifts, but two more that prove his point in a different way. In verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. That kicks you in the gut, doesn't it? Like we talked about in the past and even referenced last week, the New Testament gift of prophecy is different from the Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament prophets carried the same authority as God himself. That's why they very often prefaced what they would say with, thus says the Lord, right? When Paul references the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, he's connecting it with the cultural understanding of that time period. At that point in human history, the term prophecy merely referred to any message revealed by any outside source. As such, the best way to understand what Paul meant when he referred in the New Testament to the gift of prophecy is this. Any sense leading, prompting, or image, vision, or dream that God reveals to an individual, and then that individual interprets that and relays that in human language. So, New Testament prophecy could be misinterpreted by that person and even relayed inaccurately and therefore be fallible in certain aspects. That's why Paul will instruct the Corinthian congregation to weigh what's accurate and what's not in someone's prophetic message in chapter 14. If New Testament prophecy had the same weight as Old Testament prophecy, there's no way Paul would have said that. Weigh it to see what's accurate and what's not. Paul's point in verse 2 of our passage this morning is that similar to his point about tongues, even if he had all the mysteries of the Trinity and all the mysteries of heaven and all the mysteries of the universe, he knew everything and everything was revealed to him and God's will and understood scripture perfectly in all its varied facets. If everything was revealed to him and even if he relayed all of that perfectly to people, but he did not have love, it would be meaningless to anyone. 
it would be meaningless. Even if Paul had all the mysteries of God and all the mysteries of the universe revealed to him, and even if he could even comprehend all of them with his finite human mind and then explain all that perfectly in a way that finite human minds could wrap their heads around. If he did not possess and show Jesus' love along with that, he would still serve no purpose to humanity. That's a pretty powerful statement to make, isn't it? Love even trumps understanding God and the world perfectly and being able to perfectly explain that to anyone else. To further illustrate this, imagine all the good that could be done in the world if someone understood perfectly how the world's climate worked and how the human body worked and how any cure for any disease could be found and what lay at the edges of the universe and how we could understand what God is doing in this world. Imagine a person who possessed the knowledge to design structures to prevent natural disasters and the loss of thousands of people's lives or come out with cures for every single disease or health condition in the world or to be able to successfully influence world governments and tribal leaders to avoid war. But if Jesus' love were not first and foremost the equation, that person would be utterly useless to humanity. Useless. The greatest successes known to humanity are rendered meaningless in reality without Jesus' love. That's how powerful love is. And even if someone had all the faith one could possess to influence God to work the most incredibly breathtaking miracles that we would be rendered speechless and unable to stand but didn't do so with Jesus' love, that person would be useless to humanity. Imagine a person like Jesus or even like one of the 12 apostles walking around this earth where someone would just touch a piece of their clothing or, or just have them speak words or even just have their, their shadow fall on people with terminal and incurable diseases and they're instantly healed. But if they didn't have or live out the love of Jesus, that person would be nothing. Nothing. Pointless. Purposeless. Again, the greatest successes known to humanity are rendered meaningless in reality. These are all incredibly powerful illustrations of how potent Jesus' love is in any and every situation. It's integral to anything happening for the kingdom of God. Integral. Not just important. Integral. So we talked about the greatest service, we talked about the greatest successes, and thirdly, we're going to talk about the greatest sacrifices. Thirdly, we have this illustration, verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. The first illustration had to do with if someone had the most powerful supernatural spiritual gifts, but not Jesus' love. How annoying and harmful that would be. 
The second illustration had to do with someone having all the supernaturally revealed knowledge of God and the universe so they could literally change anything in the world or had the faith to move Almighty God to work unexplainable miracles in people's lives, but not Jesus' love, how useless and pointless that would actually be. This third illustration gives one last exaggeration to prove Paul's point as to how integral having and showing Jesus' love is to any situation. Even if one literally sold every single earthly possession they had, including their home, and lived the rest of their lives homeless and with nothing, and gave all that money to provide food and clothing and shelter for the poor, but didn't do any of that with the love of Jesus, it wouldn't mean anything for them in God's eyes. You would think that if someone did that, they would automatically get a mansion with a butler and a swimming pool and a home theater and personal cook in heaven, right? You just do that and you automatically reach platinum status in heaven. You get to sit right next to Jesus and get a pass to go bowling and hang out with him all the time. You think if you did that, that would earn you that status in heaven. But Paul is saying, even if you did that, which no one is going to do, but your motivation was not doing so with the love of Jesus, it means nothing in God's eyes. He doesn't see you having done anything better than the guy that just spent all of his money on himself. That's how powerful love is to everything we do, even in sacrificing our earthly possessions to better the lives of the less fortunate. Even if you're supporting your church and what we're doing to serve the needy in our community through your tithe or beyond that in benevolence giving, but you're doing so grudgingly or out of necessity or out of duty and not doing it out of love, it's no better in God's eyes than if someone gave nothing to the church. If you're supporting missionaries or organizations like Samaritan's Purse who provide relief to those suffering all around the world in Jesus' name, but you're not contributing out of the love of Jesus, it's no better in God's eyes than if someone didn't care at all about giving to help people. That's how powerful love is. So the argument of, well, what about atheists who generously give to relieve the suffering of people here in our country and all over the world? That argument is easily, if not uncomfortably, answered. God can and will use atheists and pagans like he's done all through human history for his will, like the pagan Persian king Cyrus to decree that the Jewish people were no longer Babylonian subjects and were free to return to their homeland. But that doesn't change their standing before him. If they haven't humbled themselves before him and accepted Jesus as their savior from their sins and the king over the rest of their lives, they still stand condemned and fit only for eternal banishment and punishment no matter how much money they give away. I told you it was uncomfortable. Lastly, even if a believer in Jesus were to let go of everything in this world and willingly give their bodies and lives over to execution. You know, the ultimate act of sacrifice. But they do it for any reason other than love for their Savior and wanting to show that love and loyalty to their Savior. Even that doesn't mean anything 
in God's eyes. Even that wouldn't earn you platinum status in heaven. You would be seen as no different than the guy who may have prayed the prayer of salvation, but lived an incredibly worldly and self-seeking life and just got into heaven by the skin of his teeth. The greatest sacrifices are rendered as nothing in God's eyes without Jesus' love. That's how powerful love is. I can't think of any more powerful illustrations than the Apostle Paul has just used in these three verses this morning to prove his point. Even the greatest service the greatest successes for humanity and greatest sacrifices are rendered meaningless and useless without Jesus' love. Even the greatest uses of supernatural spiritual gifts in serving God's kingdom or the greatest understanding of God in the universe or the greatest faith to move Almighty God to do the greatest things that have been unheard of in human history or the greatest altruistic acts of personal sacrifice mean nothing if Jesus' love is not the driving factor. That drives us to do some heart evaluating, doesn't it? Everybody here. It drives all of us here to do some heart evaluating. If Jesus' love is not part of any certain things we're doing or anything at all, that doesn't mean for us to stop doing them. It just means we need to make Jesus' love its motivation. We just need to change things. It means taking a hard look at everything we do and seeing how much Jesus' love is a part of them. We've seen that if Jesus' love is not a part of them, all we're doing is banging our head against the wall. There will be no lasting effect for God's kingdom, no matter what it is. Because if Paul says that even possessing all the knowledge we could possibly have about God and His Word, and no matter what and how much we do for His kingdom, and how much we give to the poor, and even giving up our lives to martyrdom, means nothing for the kingdom without Jesus' love being the why. Much less would it be any different with anything we can do. We're not somehow different. We're not different people than what Paul is talking about here. We're not somehow different than what Paul is talking about here. So let us be convicted, yes, but let us also do something about it. Let us be inspired. Let us be encouraged to take a look at what areas of our lives Jesus' love isn't the driving factor for why we do things. And then let us ask God to fill us to overflowing with His love, especially in those areas. And then we'll see lasting impact and effect for anything we're doing for His glory. Paul describes in his letter to the Galatian churches that love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the first one. You can look it up very first one. That means that this type of love, Jesus' love, is not something that we can manufacture on our own. It has to be grown in us. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. We cannot manufacture it on our own. It needs to be grown in us. What can we do? 
We must surrender more and more of ourselves to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit for him to grow more and more of this love in us. It's not rocket science. That's what we can do to promote the growth of this love. More and more surrender of ourselves and our plans and our wants to have the Holy Spirit grow more and more of this love in us. So, I hope that all of us have seen what the power of the absence of Jesus' love is to any kind of situation. And in that way, start to see the impact and power of Jesus' love in us on every kind of situation. We talked about the power of when love isn't there today, and next week we're going to see what Christ-like love really is. These messages are the perfect book-ending messages surrounding Valentine's Day when so many have no clue what love really is. Jesus' love must be the foundation to everything we are and everything we do. It must be the motivation to everything we do and every way we serve God. Without it, no matter who we are and no matter what we do, we're nothing. And anything we could ever do is nothing. So let us seek Jesus' love to overflow in our hearts and have it be the why to everything we do. And then let us see what powerful and lasting impact it will have on everything we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this very, very powerful message in your word today. It's convicting. Lord, I pray that we would do something about it. I pray that we would take a look, a hard look at every area of our lives and say, is Jesus' love the driving factor in why I do what I do here? And if it's not, I pray that we, would pray that, we, that we would pray to you and ask you to fill us to overflowing with your love in that area. And then we'll see what powerful and lasting impact you will make because of that. I pray all these things in the power of the name of Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. Amen.